written Chaydesh. This week's parsha is Parshas Nayach. And the Torah gives a, a wonderful haskama to the greatness of Nayach. If people think that a certain person is a tzaddik, maybe he is or maybe he isn't. Sometimes the person is able to put on a good show and give the illusion of being a tzaddik, act very from shakal in the right places and scream in the middle of davening, but nobody knows for sure what's in his heart of hearts. But if the Torah says, the Torah HaKadosha is made about a person, that he's a tzaddik, then you know that he's a real tzaddik. There's no question about it that this is a person that's a bona fide tzaddik. And at the beginning of this week's parsha, the Torah gives the most wonderful praise of Nayach and says that Nayach was an ish tzaddik, tamim hayab dairaisav. He was a tzaddik, plain and simple. And so we know that that truly is the definition of of Nayach, and he must have had an amazing personality, an amazing sense of, of Emunah, and all the things that you would expect a tzaddik to have. Which makes it so puzzling why Rashi, based on a medrash, says a few psukim later that Nayach was Miktane and Manahaya. Nayach was one of those people, like many people during the Daramabal, that had a Chisarin and Amuna. He was Miktane and Mona. Maimin the Enai Maimin, Rashi says. He was a believer, but he was not a believer. And Rashi continues and explains how, as a result of that, he didn't believe that the Mabel would come, but the point that I'm trying to focus on in the Rashi is that Rashi says something that's a very great insinuation about the character and about the, the tzidkos of Nayak. The Torah says that Nayak was a tzaddik. And Rashi now says that Nayak was miktane amana. Maimin veinay maimin. It doesn't sound like a big tzaddik to me. If a person is a true tzaddik, it's tzaddik b'munasa yichya. The pasuk says in Chabakot that a tzaddik is determined about by virtue of his level of emunah. If a person has emunah in the Rebbeinu Shalom, he's a tzaddik. If a person has 50% emunah in the Rebbeinu Shalom, that might not be a tzaddik, or probably is not a tzaddik. The Torah says that he was a tzaddik and then Rashi comes and rains on his parade and says that he was miktani emona maimen ve'enai maimen. He was a believer but at the same time he lacked a full belief. And I saw in a sefer a beautiful pshat in explaining this Rashi that Nayak was a Maimon de'enai Maimon. And the Sefer said that Nayak was a Maimon in Hashem. A thousand percent Maimon in Hashem. Tzadik b'amunasa yichya. He was a Tzadik Yisraelam Nayak. He was a Maimon plain and simple. As much as we would expect a Tzadik to have a Munah 
Noyach had that emuna. What does Rashi mean when it says that he was miktana emuna, that he was a maimon, the enoi maimon? He had emuna in the rabbinu but he lacked emuna in himself. He had full faith in the Rabbeinu Shleilam, and the Rabbeinu Shleilam being the Bayre Eilam, the Mahabra Eilam, Hashkacha Prati, he believed in everything. Everything that we could ever hope to attain in Emunah Bashem Nayak had, but he lacked Emunah in himself. And as a result of that, he failed in his mission and he failed to save the world. A lot of this is born out of the Zayar. The Zayar in this week's parsha really takes Nayak to task for not acting on par with what he should have been acting in. He is compared to Meshur Abenu, or contrasted, I should say, to Meshur Abenu. And the Zayar goes and says how Meshur Abenu, if you want to look it up, it's in the Zayar, page Samach Zayin, Mabez, and Parshas Nayach. He says, Meshur Abenu was Masar Atzma Lumisa. He was willing to die to save Klal Yisrael. Im wipe me out. I don't care. If you're going to destroy Klal Yisrael, this is, of course, by the Chet I don't want to live. He got a sweetheart deal from the Rabbi Nishlam. Rabbi Nishlam, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to make a new nation out of you. No. Thanks, but no thanks. If you destroy the Jewish people, destroy me along with them. Period. He was willing to step to the plate and be meiser nefesh for Kal Yisrael. But the Zayah writes, the Nayach loyasakain. Nayach was quite different than Meshur Abenu. El Ratzali Natsel the Azab es He wanted to save himself, and he let the world be destroyed. That's the difference between somebody that has a Muna in himself and somebody that doesn't have a Muna in himself. Meshur Abenu believed in himself, in his ability to save the world, in his ability to be able to be an advocate on behalf of the world to save them. Nayak did not feel that he was worthy of that. He was just trying to save himself, and as far as the world, the world has to contend for themselves. Let the world deal with their own issues. These are Rishayim. I don't know what to do with them. I can't defend them. And so he basically let the world drown. In fact, in this week's Haftairah, the Haftairah says, Ki me which means that the waters of Nayak, the Mabel, is given a new title. It's Nayak's Mabel. It happened on Nayak's watch. It was Nayak's fault. It was Nayak's responsibility. He had the opportunity to save the world, and he didn't. And that's why the Mabel is attributed to Naya. What is Naya? There's a Tzadik. The world were Risham around him. The world was full of Hamas and decadence. Naya was the one beacon of light in the world. What did he do wrong? He should have had the ability to stand up for the world, defend them, save them. And he didn't. 
the Zayar continues and it says, the im calls that, Kivan Shamar HaKadosh Baruch when HaKadosh Baruch said before the Mabo, I will establish a covenant with you. At that point, Noach should have begged Rachamim for the world. I don't want a bris with you. I want the bris to continue with the whole world. When did Noach bring the carbon? After the Mabo, all of a sudden he starts being Makar Karbanes. The Zayar says that carbon that he brought, very nicely he brought a carbon after the fact. But that carbon should have been Shiyakar by Slamikaidim was there. Why'd you bring a carbon after the Mabel Nayak? You should have brought a carbon before the Mabel. When the Rabbanishlam was telling you what was about to transpire, that the world was about to be destroyed. Bring a carbon. Ula Yishkach Hakasmeila, maybe the carbon would have been Mahapir. Maybe the carbon would have, would have soothed the anger of the Rabbanishlam against the world. But Nayak failed in his mission. And the reason why Nayak failed in this mission is not because he didn't have a Muna in Hashem. He did. He didn't have a Muna in himself. Avram Avinu was able to go to bat for the people of Sadaim, go up against the Rabbi Shalom, and feel like he is able to almost go toe-to-toe Kaviyacho with the Rabbi Shalom. Moshe Rabbeinu did the same thing. Chayni Hamago did the same thing when he also saved the world and he tried to bring rain down to the world and he said, I'm going to draw a circle. That's why his name was Chayni Hamago with Marantinus and he says, I'm not budging from this circle until you bring rain. And then the rain came. There are certain individuals throughout history that are able to feel great enough, to have enough enough self-confidence, enough emuna to understand that I have greatness in me. I have the ability to save the world. The Rabbi Yerushalayim says, I'm destroying the world, and I stand up for the world, and I say, no. Nayak was a maimon in Hashem, but ain't a maimon. He was not a maimon in himself. He didn't believe that he had that ability to face the Rabbi Yerushalayim and say, don't do this. And for that, the Mabel is called May Nayach. It's his fault, because he should have saved the world. And he failed to do so when he had that ability to. There's a, a beautiful bart that I saw once in a Sefer quoting Rav Dessler. I never found it in the Mishnah Yahu. And um, I saw it brought from somebody that's, that's trustworthy. I don't know where he got it from, but maybe it's Mipi Kabbalah. Mipi, he had a Messiah. I don't know. I never saw it inside. But I will say that it's probably the most beautiful bird that I ever saw in my life. Rav Dessler is quoted as saying that Esther Hamalka saved Klal Yisrael the reason why any of us are sitting in this space Medrash today, or all of us are sitting here, is because of a woman by the name of Esther Amalto. She saved us. If not for Esther's intervention at that time with Achashverosh, there's a very good chance that we would not be here today. It's an amazing thing. And the question 
is, if you were to be a uh, historian or an anthropologist and you would, or a psychologist or somebody that is fascinated by the human experience, you would wonder, how did a woman by the name of Esther, how was she able to save Klal Yisrael? Who was she? Was she, uh, did she grow up in an aristocracy? Was she like Queen Elizabeth in England that has very, very of, of yichos, of monarchs in her blood? She was a, a woman, well, the truth is that she did. She, she did stam from yichos, she did come from Shalamela. But, she herself, in her own personal story, was a yisayma min ha'avu min ha'en. The Gemara Megillah tells us that when her mother was pregnant with Esther, her father died during pregnancy. And when Esther was coming out of her mother's womb at childbirth, the mother died. She literally was a, an orphan min ha'avu min ha'en from the get-go. So she didn't have much in terms of immediate yichas to give her this ability to save the Jewish people. How did this happen? What transpired in her life that we could take a lesson from to make a simple orphan girl able to climb to the ranks of being Esther Hamalka and saving the Jewish people? And Reb Dessler is quoted as saying, one pasuk, Mordechai, her cousin, raised her. He raised Hadassah. Aymen is like a, a lashon of to nurse or to, to, to take care of, to cattle, to like, a, like, a, like a, an Aymen is a, a nurse. And that's what Mordechai did. Mordechai raised her. Zakhtar of Desla, the word Aymen does not only mean a nurse. The word Aymen means emuna, And what that means is, every single day, Mordechai would tell Esther, Esther, I believe in you. I have emuna in you. I have emuna in the Rabbi Nishan, but I also have emuna in you. I believe that you have greatness in you. In the morning he said that to her, at night, as he tucked her into bed, he said that to her. On Shabbos, he said that to her. On Yantav, he said that to her. Every single day, she was given a steady diet of confidence. I believe in you. You could accomplish greatness. Never did anyone in her home put her down. Never did they say, you're going to accomplish nothing in life. You're a failure. You're a loser. You got a 75 on that test. Eh. Everything that she did, I believe in you. I have a moon on you. I believe in your greatness. I have a moon in your ability to accomplish amazing things in life. And when somebody is given that infusion of a moon day in and day out, she has the ability to save the Jewish people. A person has to believe in two things. You have to believe in the Rabbi Nishlam. That's the, immun, the mitzvah of Amun on the Torah. That's the Yisrael. How you say this? We have to believe that there's a Rabbi Nishlam who created the world, who continues to manage the world, who orchestrates everything big and small. Nisim Kedayim for Samim and Nisim Nistarim. Everything is the Rabbi Nishlam. That is the Yisrael. How you say this? 
But there's another emuna that's very important as well. And that is the ability to believe firmly in oneself, to have self-confidence. I believe in myself, I believe that I have greatness in me, and I can accomplish anything that I set my mind to, period. This is something that Avram Avinu had, Meshra Avinu had, Esther Amalka had, Chaini Amago had. Nayak did not have this. He was a Maimon in the Revenge, and he got that part of the test right. But Einai Maimon, he did not have that amuna, that self-confidence to save the world when it needed to be saved. He fell short. He felt, who am I to go against the Rebbein? The Rebbein Shalom says, I'm destroying the world. Fine, let me just save myself. The Rebbein Shalom says, build a table. I'll build a table. I'll fit myself, my family, the animals in, and let the world be flooded. He may nayak the world was flooded and the flood was attributed to Nayak's lack of self-confidence, lack of emuna. He was a maimon, he was a tzaddik, but he was ain't a maimon, he lacked emuna in himself. He didn't have the aimen as hadasa, perhaps nobody told him, nobody gave him that faith in himself. But he lacked faith in himself and for that, he was considered to be one of the accomplices in bringing the Mabel to this world. I once told over this part about Rav Dessler at a, at, a, at a yeshiva dinner. And the next day, a Rebetzin came over to me, I'm not going to say who, but she said, it was such an inspiring message, this Rav Dessler's Vart. I don't know if anyone, if you really heard the Vart, you'd be dancing right now. It's an amazing Vart by Yaimanes Adasa. And he said that, she said to me, I came home from the dinner, it was like late at night, or it was maybe 12 o'clock at night, my kids were sleeping, or one of her children were sleeping. She says, I went into his room, I woke him up, and I said, I believe in you! He's like, what? <laughs> Mom, like, you know, can you tell me that tomorrow? But she felt like, you know, like it's so important, this message is so important that when we have children in Mitzvah Hashem, to make them feel great about themselves, to make them feel like that their parents have a moon on them, even if the whole world doesn't. But at least I should know that my parents feel like that I'm amazing. And if our parents didn't do that, or even if they did do that, we have to tell ourselves these things. We have to give ourselves, never too late to give ourselves this infusion of confidence, to have a muna in ourselves, to believe strongly, I could do it. If a kid comes home from school and he brings home a, uh, a test and it's a uh, 65. So a lot of parents, maybe myself also at one point in my career as a parent, would get upset you could do better. What happened over here, you didn't study enough, why didn't you study more and beat the kid up and make the feel, not, not physically, but make the kid feel, you know, that he's like, you know, he or she is like, just, uh, you know, just a poor excuse for a human being. You brought a 65 home, a 75 home. As I got older, I realized that you have to not do that. 
Because what you're doing is you're really killing the child. You're killing the kid's self-confidence. Okay, I'm a failure, I'm a loser. That's what my parents said to me. So now I have a whole new approach. I say to my kids, I don't want you bringing home 100 on a test. I said, if you get 100, I think I'm the only parent in America that ever said that to a child. Normally, parents, if you don't bring home 100 on a test, don't bother coming home. I say, if you bring home 100 on a test, I don't want you here in the house. Because I don't want a perfect child, I want a normal child. And if a child gets a 65 on a test or a 75 on a test, think about that. That's not bad. 65, 75, that means that the kid knew 75% of the material on the test. It's not bad. If I was an investor in the stock market and I'm 75% of the time right, I'd be a multi-billionaire. It's not bad, 75%. 25% wrong, 75% right, that's good. But it's all a matter of perspective. And if a kid gets a 65, 75 on a test and, they say, and you say to them, wow, that's unbelievable, you know, like you have to always sign your kids' tests in elementary school. So the worse the mark is, the bigger the smiley face I make after I sign it. Let the teacher know that I am proud of my child for getting that mark on the test. By the way, my, my kids are very smart kids. They, they generally bring on very good grades on the test. Just for Shidduchim, everybody should know that. <laughs> but, but, um, but if Chas V'Shalom, once in a while, they don't, I make a Kiddush and Shul on Shabbat. I'm happy. And I try to make... I'm, I'm not the perfect parent. I'm really not. But I do try to give my kids, and my Talmidim for that matter, the ability to know that I have a Muna in them. I believe in that. I believe in every single one of you, and I believe in every single one of my children. And that's the way it should be. That's, and it's the truth. It's not a fake. It's, it's, it's true. It's interesting. It sounds like a, a very fine line that I'm speaking about today, because when you speak about self-confidence as majorly important as that is, but a lot of you might be scratching your head and saying, isn't that like contrary to concepts of anivos and shiftless? How does it interplay? On one hand, we're told that we have to have self-confidence. We have to have a moon on ourselves. We have to feel like we could save the world. That we were able to go toe-to-toe with the Rabbi Shalom. And we're able to literally defend people and save them and be superheroes. I mean, Satshani, we're told that we have to be, that we shouldn't be so smug and confident. That's Gaiva. We should be Anav, Shval Ruach. We should walk around like this and say, I'm I'm nothing. Avram Avinu is the one that coined that phrase, and this is the same Avram Avinu that we were speaking about before that defended Sadaim and Amaira as much as he could. He wasn't successful, but he tried. What is it? Are we supposed to be very gaivadic and self-confident? Or are we supposed to be very timid and shy and, and very, very meek and humble? What is it? I mean, is it, does it depend on the parsha, on the shmooz? Like, well, what's going on? What, you, pull out, you, know, you pull out different shmooz and when you need it? And the answer is yes. That's exactly right. 
Reb Simcha Mipshischa, one of the great Hasidic masters, used to say that a person needs to have at all times two notes. One note in the right pocket and one note in the left pocket. On one note it should say that I am Nivra B'Tselem Elekim Bishvili Nivra Elam I am amazingly great. I am created in the image of the Rabbi Shalom. I have the ability to do everything that I could possibly dream of. I am the reason for the very existence of this world. That's in one pocket. In the other pocket, I am dust, I am ashes, I am worthless. That's in the other pocket. And he says, you have to be very careful when to take out which note. Sometimes you have to take out one note and look at it and study it, and sometimes in life you have to take out the other note and study it. If you take out the wrong note at the wrong time, it's going to be a disaster. He gives an example. He says, let's say you're faced with a mitzvah. I want to, or I'm called upon to do a great, a great mitzvah. I don't know, let's say there's a mikvah in town that needs to be built, and it costs a million dollars to build the mikvah. And they say, would you like to be one of the founders of the mikvah? We're going to ask you for a lot of money. You're going to have to you know, fundraise, and you're going, to, you're going to have to really put a lot of time and effort into it. Imagine doing that. What are you going to say? What are you going to say? When people come, I'm asking you a, a hypothetical question. Fast forward your life in, in 10, 15 years from now, and you're in a community somewhere, and there's a need for a mikvah in town. And they ask you, could you come and we want you to be one of the main people on the mikvah committee. It's going to take a lot of time of your life. It's going to take a lot of, a lot of money, either your own money, or you're going to have to fundraise, go to your closest friends and relatives and snark from them for a couple of years, hire architects, hire mikvah experts, find a piece of real estate to build it on. What are you going to do at that point in your life when you're faced with that challenge? So, you have a choice. You could take out one note, or you could take out the other note. You could take out the note that says, Who am I? You know, go to other people. There's richer people in town. There's more, bigger asfanim in town. I'm, I'm nothing. I'm just, I'm just a little guy, just trying to do my thing, you know, pay my bills, uh, raise my kids, be a good husband, do my job, nine to five it. You, you got the wrong guy. I'm simple, I'm humble, I'm meek, not for me. No. said, you don't take out that card, you don't take out that note from your pocket, you, de- you dig into the other pocket, you pull out the note, HaKadosh Baruch created us in the image of God, I could do anything that I want to do. This is a time that I should become larger than life. Big. Dream. Do the impossible. Accomplish great things with your life. Don't become meek at that time. That's a moment in life that you have to step to the plate and say, okay, I'm up to the challenge. Now let's give another hypothetical situation. Somebody comes 
and insults you. Somebody comes, you're in the dorm room, and somebody comes and really says something that's disgusting to you. Says, you know, you're this, you're such a slob, you're so lazy, you're so, you know, you're, you're just like, you're, you're just not a good person. And you get very insulted by that. And now you have a choice. Which note do I take out of my pocket? I could take out of my pocket, How dare you say that to me? Do you know who I am? How can you say that to me? You have no idea how great I am, and you have the chutzpah to speak to me like that, and you make a mochamo. That's one option that you have. Or the other option is you just take out the other card, which says, Maybe I'm taka lazy. You're right. Maybe I'm taka, you know, not the best person. I'm, I'm, I'm just dust and ashes. I'm not, you're right, I'm not going to make machlek. I'm not even going to get angry at you. It's fine. Let it slide off my back because I pulled out the right time, the right card at the right time. Reb Simcha used to say that, unfortunately, people very often take out the wrong card at the wrong time. When people insult me, I take out the card that says, how can you do that to me? How can you puncture my ego? Don't you know how great I am? When people come to me for doing big things, for building a shul, a yeshiva, a mikvah, for giving tzedakah, for helping anim, for joining Tanchei Shabbos, for joining Hatzot, nah. I'm a little guy. Go, go, you know, go to other people, not me. So, it's both. The answer is, you have to have tremendous emun on yourself. And at the same time, you have to understand your limitations. But it depends what the situation calls for. Sometimes you have to step to the plate at the big moments in history. Nayak by the Mabo should have understood, this is my moment in time. As Mordechai warned Esther, this is the moment in time that you have been born for. The great moments to shine, you have to shine. But when things are against you, and you have challenges, and you want to use that Salam Kim as a, as a way to get angry, as a way to have gaiva, as a way to, to, to have a negative reaction to things, then it's very important to also remember and remind yourself that it's not so important to defend your covet as much as the world was created for you, but you're also offer the Aether. What does that mean? Bitsalam Elikim, that card of Simcha Bunim that says that I was never Bitsalam Elikim. Let's just take a few minutes to understand what that means. I was created in the image of God. Now, there's only one problem with that statement, that if it's misunderstood, then you're an apikairus. Because one of the yud gimel ikram of the Rambam is what? That the rabbi, an imam munashleima, shakadish is enay guf, he has no body. There's no, he has no physicality to him. If you say that the pshat in Selim Elikim means that God looks like me, that God has eyes and he has a nose and he has a mouth, he has legs, he has arms, even though you find throughout Tukim and Tanakh that it seems like he does have these things. 
Hamid Eini Hashem Lekecha Ba. He has eyes. Yad Chazaka Bezrei Netuyak and Shprocha has a hand. He has an arm. He has legs in certain sukkim. So it seems like the Rabbi Yisrael, but it doesn't, obviously, it's not to be taken to Pshutah. It gives us an understanding of what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is doing. If you say that the eyes of God are, are faced on Eretz Yisrael at all times, we understand what that means. It doesn't mean that he physically has eyes, but it means that his, he's monitoring closely the, the conditions of Eretz Yisrael. He has no body. So what does it mean that we are nivra b'tzalem elikim, that we were created in the image of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? It clearly does not mean in the physical image of the Rabbi Nishayim. Sir so Chaim Melajner and his Sefer Nefesh HaChaim at the beginning of the Sefer, and this is a required reading. You can't be a Jew without learning Nefesh HaChaim, I think, at least this first part of Nefesh HaChaim. He says, you know what it means, B'Tselem Elikim? What does the word Elikim mean? Elikim means, the difference between Hashem and Elikim is that Elikim means that I am happy. That's what Elikim means. The Shulchan Aruch says that that's the kavanah that you have to have when you say Elikim, Elikeinu. He's the powerful one, he's the almighty God. He's able to do anything that he wants to do. That's what it means. You're never B'Tselem Elikim, not B'Tselem Hashem. You're never B'Tselem Elikim because man, like God, has the ability to do anything that he wants. And he says, very Lamaisa, he says, it's not just uh, you know, one of these nice inspirational schmoozing. He says, very Lamaisa, not that I, I could do anything that I want to do. What does that mean? He says that when a person does a mitzvah, what that does is the mitzvah propels Kedusha, Lamaila. It goes all the way up to the Kisiyah Kavid. You know, like when you go to a, a carnival or an arcade or something and there's those you know, the, the, the game that you, you know, you have to hit the hammer and it goes, it goes high and the stronger you are, it hits the bell on top. That's what we do. Whenever we do a mitzvah, we're basically taking a hammer, boom, and it goes all the way up every time. All the way to the Kisiyah covered. a bell goes off, and Shefa and Bracha and Atzlacha come pouring down to the world as a result of that mitzvah. Likewise, when a person does an Avera, also goes up to the Kisah Kavit, and it rains down Paramius Rachman Lutzan on the world. Very often I think about when you, when you read in a paper about, you know, whole islands, Puerto Rico, and, and all these islands down there over the, in the recent hurricanes, that got completely destroyed, and you say, yeah, you know, there are no Jews living there, there are maybe a few Chabatskas, whatever, that, nothing, there's no, no Jewish life down there, so it's fine, we don't have to worry about it. You should know that it's very possible that it was our Averis that caused that to happen. We're going to say, well, maybe it's the Gaim's Averis that caused that to happen. Why is it my Averis? Maybe the people living there. Because the Chidah says that this Yisayi about my actions having the ability to wreak havoc on the world or bring tremendous bracha on the world is only by a yid. It's interesting. You know when he says that this, this shift happened? Because Adam was never B'Selamikim. So Adam did have that ability to change the world based on whether he did good or bad. Nayak also did, but it changed by the, in this week's parasha, by the Dara Flago. 
something happened by the end of the parasha by the Daraflaga that only Yidin have this unique ability to be Nivra B'Tselem Elikim that affects the entire universe. Gayim don't have that anymore. But this is what a man is. This is what a Yid is. A Yid is somebody, Nivra B'Tselem Elikim. We, each and every one of us, have the ability to be a Takif. Ubal HaYechayles, Ubal HaKaychayes Kulam, the Rabbi Nishlam, allows us to drive the car. We think that the Rabbi Nishlam's in the driver's seat and we're just passengers along for the ride, it's not true. We are determining the fate of the world, every single one of us, believe it or not. That's how great we all are. That's what that card means, that we're never B'Tselem Elikim. So don't ever say, I'm a small guy, I'm a little guy, I can't do it. I can't do that. You're asking me to do the impossible. To a man, to a yid, there is no such thing as the impossible. You are a takif, you could do anything that you set your mind to do. And it sounds like, you know, come on, he's, why is he talking like that? It's not true. It is true. We have the ability, little you and little me, have the ability to do whatever we want to accomplish in life. The only person stopping us is ourselves. If we don't have the amuna in ourselves we won't be able to accomplish anything. If we have the Amunah in ourselves, we can accomplish anything that we want. And there are so many stories that I'm not even going to say any, because there are so many stories about how many people that everybody wrote off as being unable to accomplish anything, accomplish great things, accomplish things that are beyond the wildest expectations, people that, are, that were physically challenged, emotionally challenged, scarred in every which way, they were able to accomplish great things because they believed in themselves. And when a person believes in himself, then the sky is the limit. You could even save a world. I believe that that's the shot and why after the Mabel, if you look at the Psukim, there's a very strange parasha all of a sudden, right after the Mabel, HaKadosh tells Nayach, Ah! He says, Shaifech dama adam ba adam, dama yeshafech. If you murder somebody, your blood will be spilled. Kibitzelem elikim asas adam. Because you were created in itzelem elikim. You can't go and kill somebody. If you kill somebody, you deserve to die because you were created itzelem elikim, which is strange. Why is Hakadish Baruch telling Nayak at this point? This thing, we know that we're never B'Tselem That's early on in Sefer Barashas. We're up to Nayak already. Why does HaKadosh Baruch have to chazer over this concept that Nayak, you were created B'Tselem And I believe that the Pshat in that Pasuk is what we're talking about today. Nayak, you didn't take out the right card. You had the ability to save the world. You took out the card that said what? I'm saving myself. I'm going to hide in a teva. I'm not going to go to bed for the dog. They're and let them drown. Who am I? Nayak, you took out the wrong card. You should have taken out the card that said that B'Tselem Elekim Asa Sa'adam HaKadosh created you with amazing powers. You're a superhero if you want to be. And because of that, it was made Nayak. 
You murdered a world. Because of you, the entire world was destroyed. And now learn the lesson. I created B'Tselem Elikim. Never forget that, Nayak. Always remember that you have the ability to accomplish great things. Don't be a maimon ve'ena maimon. Be a maimon ve'maimon. Believe in the Rabbeinu Shalom, but believe in yourself, because you're godly as well. You have that Selim Elikim that creates a whole new ability in your world to save it and to change it. I was thinking about different personalities throughout recent history that saved the world. It's interesting. Over Yantiv, I don't know why I read in a, one of the Jewish newspapers, I think, um, that I didn't know about this. There was a person, just as an interesting, uh, maybe you all know about it, there was a person, a Russian deputy, deputy officer, like a very low-ranking Russian. His name was Lieutenant Colonel... Stanislav Petrov. And he was like very new on the job, a young man, 1983. And he was given a very important job in Russia. And that was, he was supposed to monitor a, um, a uh, like a secret bunker outside of Moscow that was in charge of the Soviet Union's early warning system, which meant that it had satellites. And they were watching in America... They knew exactly where the silos were, where all the American nuclear missiles were stored. And his job was basically to monitor and make sure that all of the equipment was set up. And if there was, if America would start attacking, then Russia has to immediately, of course, retaliate. So one fine day, I think it was like very early on in his career, this job, you know, he's eating his bagel in the morning, and all of a sudden, um, the, the, the alarms start going off. And it seems to be that on this, it was a very raw satellite system, but it seemed to be that all of the, that the United States started launching five nuclear missiles from a certain silo, maybe in Nebraska, somewhere in middle America, and they were coming now, presumably, towards the Soviet Union. This was on the satellite screen. Now, if he had reacted and said, oh my gosh, we're being attacked, we got to retaliate, he would have reported to his advisors as a real full-throated attack on, from the United States to Russia, and, and I think things were very, very uh, bad between Russia and the United States at that point. There was a lot of conflict and tension between our two countries. If he would have reported it as an alarmist and said, it's happening, it's going, got to retaliate and get, you know, gotten the, the premier of Russia on the phone and on the red phone and whatever and start lobbing missiles back, the world as we know it would have been gone. But he said it doesn't make sense. Why would the United States launch such a limited attack against five missiles? What's that going to do? If they're going to launch, if they were really going to launch an attack, they would do it with 1,000, 10,000 missiles. Give us all they have. Why would they do it so schwach? He says, it must be that there's something wrong with our detection system. And as a result of that, he reported it to his officers. He had to, to his supervisors. But he reported it immediately as a false alarm. It's not true. It didn't happen. But just, it, something went off, but it's a false alarm. 
And because he reported as a false alarm, they didn't react as, you know, in an alarming way. They just basically realized after a few minutes it was Hakka, it was like the glare of the sun over the clouds in Nebraska that triggered that reaction of the raw satellite system that made it seem as if something was coming very quickly at them. But he is known, if you're, if you're into history at all, or if you know these types of things, he is known as the man that saved the world. That's how he's, he goes back. He's, he was Mr. a few years ago. He died a few years ago. In Russia, it's interesting, they were, they, they did not give him COVID because they, it was embarrassing for them that they had such a shaka detection system and they blamed him. They made him the scapegoat and he was like at home, he was like a, you know, a persona non grata. But he came to the United States, to the United Nations and they made Kvay Malachim for him because they realized that if not for his cool hand in this crisis, we wouldn't have a world today. So there are, there are people that literally do save the world in a very real sense. How about in a Ruchmiya sense? Who would you say in the last hundred years saved Klal Yisrael? You could say many people. I think the Chafetz Chaim to me is a person that, a personality that literally saved our world. Because as a result of the Chafetz, if there wouldn't be a man by the name of Chafetz Chaim that lived, I think Chal Yisrael would have been dramatically different than it is today. The Chafetz Chaim, first of all, he wrote the Mishnah Bura. He gave us Mamash as the, I think the, Chavit, the Chazanish writes about the Mishnah Bura, that it's, it's like the Sanhedrin Gedailah. It's like, he's the Paisic Akron. He is the great Sanhedrin of our time. He passed him. He gave us a real... Halacha, psuka, what to do in every situation in Arachayim. He gave us Shmiris Halashan. If we're cognizant about speaking bad about other people, about Lashon Hara, Rechilos, Shemra, it's because of the Chavitz Chaim. If we are grateful about the Beis Yaakov movement that was started by the great Sarah Shmir, it only got its feet off the ground because the Chavetz Chaim gave his bracha. The Chavetz Chaim had said, it's a bad idea, don't do it, it wouldn't have happened. All the, the Torah, the Yeshivas, the Kedusha, the Torah, the, the Chesed, all of this is from the Chavetz Chaim. One man saved our world. Now, I just want to ask you one question. What was it that was so special about the Chavetz Chaim that made him able to change our world? And I think it was his ability to change not just Klal Yisrael, but Reb Yisrael. Unique individuals were touched by the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim wasn't one of these big picture people that didn't have time for the little people, and he was only busy with the, with the Klal. The Chavetz Chaim was a year that was so holy and so special that he saved individual lives. Rebarach Ber Leibowitz once said that the Chavetz Chaim literally saved my life because Rebarach Ber had an old sick father and he, he tried to be with him day and night. When he was sick in his final illness, he was there day and night with him around the clock. But it was taking a long time. His sickness was dragging on and on and on. And he was convinced by somebody that it's important, you know, go back to your base medrash a little bit, give a shear or two. You don't have to stay, spend 24 hours by your father's bedside. 
It's fine. You go back to yeshiva a little bit. You give a shir, a shir quality. At the end of the day or the week you come back, nothing will have changed. So Rabbi Fer did that. And wouldn't you know it, when he was gone, that short window of time when he was gone, his father died. And he went ballistic. He went, he was so upset at himself that he could not be consoled. How could I not be there when my father died? I was there so long. And then I, I listened to this guy who gave me this bad hatsa, and I left, and then he died. I should have been there for him. Maybe he needed me at that time. Maybe he wanted to say, he did something. I was inconsolable, says Rebarfer, until I went to Radin, and I spoke to the Chavetz Chaim, and the Chavetz Chaim took my hand in his hand, and he spoke words of Nechama to me, and he told me that I did everything that I could, and whatever I didn't do was not my fault, and he spoke to my heart for a long, long time, and he was Mamish Mechayami, that was Lashon Rebarfer, he gave me back my life, he saved Rabbi personal world, not the world at large. Forget about the Lashon Hara campaigns and Mishnah Bura and all the global things the Chavetz Chaim did. The greatness of the Chavetz Chaim came, I believe, from his ability to save the individual Yid. Rav Shach used to say that there was a late Yom Kippur night in Radin and the Chavetz Chaim went back to the Beis Medrash late in the, in the middle of the night. The Beis Medrash was empty, saved one person. There was a 60-year-old person by the name of Reb Herschel Kamenetzer. And this was a 60-year-old Yid who was depressed. He was an elder Rebacher. He was a boy who never found a Shidduch and now he was 60 years old. He never got married. He never had children, no grandchildren, no family. And he was, he was depressed. The Chavetz Chaim didn't go back to the Bishmedrash to schmooze with anybody on Yom Kippur night. He went back to say to Hillam, maybe to learn, maybe to be, to think about the Amos Hadin. But he saw this broken Yid sitting in the space Medrash. And he went over to him and he spent a very long time with him. And he told him about all the troubles that he had in his life. And how when he was a little boy, the Maskilim tried to chop him and he almost went with the Maskilim and become an enlightened Jew because he was a very bright young man and Maskilim loved that type of guy and he had to run away from home and from where he lived just to escape the Maskilim. And then he said to this Reb Herschel Kamenetzer, and you should know that when I got married I was Reb Shiduchim of very wealthy girls. I could have married a very wealthy girl and there was a promise of being able to sit comfortably and learning the rest of my life. But what happened was that my mother remarried. Later in life she remarried and my stepfather had a daughter who he needed a shidduch for. So he told my mother that I want your son to marry my daughter. And the Chavetz Chaim says, I don't want to marry my, my stepdad's daughter. You know, there's no big yichas there. There was no money there. I was offered all these great shidduchim. But I was afraid and if I would refuse it, there would be shalom bias problems between my mother and my stepfather. So I did the shidduch. And he said it was the best thing that happened to me. Because I have friends that married rich girls, and then when the, during the communist revolution, they lost all their money, 
And so I wouldn't, I would have had a business, lost the business, not had Tyra, not had money, not had anything. He says, at least now, I didn't have money, but I had Tyra, and I was able to make an effort for Tyra, and, and I married a good girl. And he was talking these types of things to Rav Herschel Kamenetzer to try to rehabilitate him, to make him understand that everything that happens in life is for a reason. Nothing happens by chance. And even though your life didn't necessarily pan out for you the way you envisioned it to, but everything is for a reason. And he spent a lot of time on William Kippur. And the Chavetz Chaim knew about the preciousness of time. The Chavetz Chaim teaches us how important every second is. But he spent that precious night of Yom Kippur telling of Herschel Kamnitzer all of these things just to be Menachem, to console him. And Rav Shach knew this story because who told Rav Shach this story? It was an empty base medrash. The Chavetz Chaim wasn't telling anyone this story. Rav Shach heard this story directly from Rav Herschel Kamnitzer himself. The Gemara tells us in Sanhedrin, which means that you don't have to be a person that literally saves the universe to be important in life. You don't have to be an, a Nayak, or you don't have to be a, an Avram Avino, or an Esther Amalka, in order to save a light, to save a world. All you have to do is save a single life. How do you save a single life? You save a single life by being Mechaya Mason, by going over to somebody that you see has an issue, has a problem, is depressed, is plagued by something. If you're able to, for one moment, alleviate that person's stress and anxiety, you have just thereby saved an entire world. What is the difference between a person that sees somebody and says, I'm going to save that person, and somebody that sees that same exact person and says, I'm not. Why is it that some people have that ability to go over to somebody and put their arm around them and say, come, let's go for lunch there, let's have some pizza together, and make the guy feel like a million bucks, and another guy says, nah, I'm going to take a pass, he's not cool enough, I don't want to be seen with him. If people think that he's my friend, then my other friends are not going to want to be my friend anymore. What's the difference between those two people? Why, are one person, why is one person able to extend his hand and bring other people into his world, and another person is unable to? The answer is because one person has a moon on himself, and the other person does not. You're a maimon in Hashem, but you're an a maimon in yourself. People that are self-confident are not threatened by what other people will think of them if, I'm a, if I go and I hang out with people that are less popular, less desirable, which obviously these terms that I'm using are all trace and disgusting terms, but I'm saying what people think in their, in, their, in their warped minds, that there are people that are less than them, that there are people that are undesirable, that there are people that are not cool enough, not popular enough, not, not good-looking enough, not athletic enough, and therefore I should not be around those people. If you have a moon on yourself, if you have self-confidence and feel strong about who you are and your self- sense of 
identity, that I'm strong, I'm good, I'm fine, then you don't need other people to give you approval. You wouldn't concern yourself with what my yaimer, what are people going to say about me if they see me doing this, if they see me hanging out, if they see me sitting with that person. Who cares? I am who I am. I'm confident enough to be able to take into my circle anyone that I want. You're not happy with me that I'm doing that, so you know, go find a new circle. I'm not in your circle then. You have to have a moon on yourself. You have to have that strong self-confidence to save worlds. Nayak didn't, and that's why he let the world fall. He said, let other people do it. If you want to save the world, save another person. Save those people that need you. The people that are cool and popular, they don't need you. You should be friendly with them like you should be friendly with anybody else. But don't concern yourself about what they're saying about you if you do X, Y, and Z. Do the right thing. Have a moon on yourself and you will save one person, two people, the world. But it all starts with a moon on oneself. I always say over what is said over B'Shem Rav Yisrael Salanter, and we'll end with that. He said that when I was young, I wanted to change the world. I wanted to save the world. I wanted to change the world. He said, I saw it wasn't Shayas. It didn't happen. So then I said, all right, you set your sights too, too broadly. Limit them. Your country. Save your country. It didn't happen. Save your community. It didn't happen. Save your family. Also, fell on deaf ears. Whatever, trying to push muster on them. Nothing happened. Wasn't saving anybody. And then finally I looked in a mirror and I said, why don't you save yourself? Why don't you try to change yourself? Believe in yourself. Get stronger in yourself. Work on yourself. Make yourself great. Build up your self-esteem. Build up yourself. He says, I did that and then an amazing thing happened. As soon as I changed myself, my family started to change, my community started to change, my country started to change, and the entire world changed. But change begins within. If you want to save the world, if you want to make a real difference in the world, in your family, with your friends, your yeshiva, your community, your society, your world, change yourself. Get a moon on yourself. Believe in yourself. Work hard on figuring out that you're a Tselemele Kim, you're amazing, you're a super human person. Yes, you have your limitations that time, you're an offer of Eifer, and you have to keep that in mind at the right time. But if you want to save people, you have to have confidence to go over to them, embrace them, take them into your world. Even if people don't like it, so what? And Muna and oneself dictates that I could do it. I could change and save a world starting one person at a time. And when you change even one person, you've changed the world because look at what happens. You're Mechayim Mason. This person now is able to feel good about themselves. Suddenly, Chabrusas want to learn with him. Roommates like him again. 
he's able to have the confidence to get married, to get a job, to have children. Things change. You have to have confidence in yourself in order to build a world. But you could do it because you are Nivra B'Tselem Have a good job.